And just like that, we are at episode two, season three of Black Stage Podcast. Uh, today, you're in for a treat. Uh, today, we're talking to Brittany Young, the founder and chief executive officer of B360. Uh, B360 is an educational organization that supports underserved youth in Baltimore. Uh, but Brittany's not just a founder. She is an engineer. She's a STEM educator. She's a 2020 TED fellow. She has numerous accolades and awards under her belt, and she's been in almost every national publication that you can imagine in this country. She's been in a variety of different talk shows to talk about her work, to talk about the kids and who she serves every single day. And Brittany, she's a force. She is a trailblazer. She is a visionary. She is someone who is setting a new agenda for Baltimore in a way that no one else has ever done. I am so excited for you all to hear this conversation. And I'm so thankful that Black Ambition is sponsoring this episode and investing in Brittany uh, in her work. Uh, and so so without further ado, I'm not going to hold this too long. This is The Black Stage. Enjoy. All right. So we have an amazing guest on the podcast today. Um, she is everywhere. I mean, every every time I turn on my, my uh, would not turn on, open my, open my app, any app, Twitter, Instagram, she is on there. Either it's, it's a partnership with Nike it's an exclusive on the Today Show. Um, I, you know, you're watching her TED Talks. She's got billboards and banners all over Baltimore. Um, but it's about the work and the leadership that she is continuously doing. I've had the privilege of knowing uh, this amazing leader for a couple of years now. And her name is Brittany Young. She's the founder of B360 Baltimore. And she is, you know, someone who is just a trailblazer. She's a visionary. And anyone who's listening to this podcast right now is about to get a masterclass in how to do it. Uh, so Brittany Young, how you doing? I am good. Excited to be here with you. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, Black Stage is about the journey. It's about talking about the work and, and how someone got from point A to point B. And I really want to kind of like dive right in with you and talk to you about specifically your journey in in becoming Brittany Young. I, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> We'll give a Michelle Obama angle, becoming becoming Brittany Young. You know, how did that start for you? Where, where did you get your start and how did it uh, grow into what is now um, some amazing leadership and an, an amazing, impactful organization? Yeah, I would say it really started with little Brittany. The older I get, the more I become just like her. So little Brittany was a badass, just to be frank. Like, no fears, didn't care about anything, listened to herself was super smart, super intelligent. Um, and as I continue to grow and develop, that's what I get back to. It's just like owning that person. Um, so when I think about little Brittany, she knew how to read and write in cursive when I was like four. You know, I went to elementary school and got in a lot of trouble just because I was so bored and I was always a fighter. And I got my first chemistry set, which was for teachers when I was in the first grade. And so I was making all kinds of like science explosions and experiments, still fighting, but my grades was impeccable. I just didn't want to be skipped a grade because I was like, that's for clowns. You know, that's how you're a kid. I'm like, why would I want to do that? Um, but I would say that's really where, where I became me is the six-year-old version of myself, I think has been the best version of me. That was before the world got to me, before I had a teacher tell me that I couldn't go into an industry because I was black and a woman, before I really realized like the world is pretty effed up. You know, I was just unapologetic, unafraid, and just like 
a warrior in like every capacity possible. You talk about, you know, just kind of like becoming uh, this person. And you talk a little bit about like some of the barriers of what it means to be a black, be black, be a woman growing up in, in the city of Baltimore. And I really want to talk to you about like how your experience shaped you, um, you know, growing up. What were some of those moments or some of those experiences that shaped you and that you still carry today? Yeah, so Baltimore is a tale of two Baltimores. Um, I grew up in a predominantly Jewish neighborhood and a neighborhood that was the remnants of crack and drug opioid epidemic. Um, same zip code, five minute drive from each other. Both my grandmothers came from rural Virginia. Um, in Baltimore, most people lived in East Baltimore first and you migrate west and get more money. And you know, this is right before like the Fair Housing Act. So one grandmother, she moved into a middle-class Black family, a Black community. The other grandmother moved into a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. She was the first and only Black neighbor, Black person in that neighborhood. And so I was really, I would say, what shaped me also in my experience as a kid. So going to the grandmother's house, so this is the 90s, right? This is the, the peak prime time of crack. One of my uncles, my youngest uncle, sold crack, was shot six times in front of me. We had drug raids. And then I would go to my other grandmother's house. There was deers. There was foxes. There was Jewish people next to me. One of my neighbors, Miss Nida, had a um, the Holocaust symbols on her. You know, so I, like, I learned a lot about, like, Jewish struggle and liberation just because of where I was, like, where I grew up. And so that really, I think, holds me as this person where I've always carried two different versions of myself, right? The hard up fighter. But I, I had the best fun of my life at my grandmother's house who lived like in like the hood. You know, when I had to go to my other grandmother's house, it was boring over there, it was too quiet. You know, but I really, I would say was my my memories of my summers in Baltimore is was dirt bikes, but it was also like being outside, you know, the penny candy lady, which people don't even know what I'm talking about. You know, having like those like snowballs, going to the corner store. When my uncle wasn't in jail, uh, him taking us to the movie, him being like the hot boy. And my, my young uncle, we're only like, 15 years apart. So really having like a big brother, you know, but then also seeing the same time, whoo, you know, crackheads running through your house, um, drug raids, people getting shot. And then the other grandmother, she just, I was only allowed to do my schoolwork there and come in the house. And because I was always a fighter, I used to fight all the kids in the neighborhood and my grandmother did not like that. So one grandma let me be like the tomboy who I was. And like, you know, I had a, a mouth of a sailor, um, which I got from that grandmother. Miss Lou, you didn't play with Miss Lou. I look just like Miss Lou. My other grandmother's only four nine. She's light skinned with freckles. And it was just two different worlds. And that's what I appreciated the most is I feel like I experienced the, both, the best of both worlds. I've seen it all. I've done it all. But again, remember, I was only six. So think about that. You know, I grew up really, really fast. And by the time I was six, my first brother was born. He has Down syndrome. So I really became a parent. So I already had a sister with two years apart. Then by the time I was six, I would really say like my life changed. Like I was still a smart ass kid with a smart ass mouth that fought a lot. But now I had the responsibility of also watching other kids changing diapers, um, being too responsible, being too smart. Um, and I could feel it as a six year old. And that's really who made me now is the hyper independent, don't need anyone for anything type of person. But I miss me at six because I was very just like carefree. Mm. As you grew up and you became a teenager uh, and you started to develop interest 
and you started to lean into your personality. What was that like for you? Um, oh, and, yeah. and how did that how did that shape your your time uh, in that period of your life? Yeah, people didn't play with Britney. Still, don't, but like, <laughs> like they still don't play with Britney. <laughs> yeah, no, people get the you know, it's Britney now that's the founder of B360, which is different, right? This is the maturation. This is the person that's learning about sustainability, that's learning how to thrive, which is a whole like this is a whole different version of myself. Me as a teenager and even going into my early 20s, that was all survival mode, right? So I was always again really smart. I went to school outside of my neighborhood. So like in Baltimore, we have not like a lottery system, but like magnet schools. So my middle school was over 300 years. Tupac went there. My high school was over 200 years. All of the engineers that come from Baltimore City went there too. You know, so it was always that part of me that value education. I was really passionate about it. But it was also that part of me that was escaping from being super responsible. Right. So it was, it was still that balance. So when going to school outside my neighborhood means my parents didn't know where I was. I caught three buses to get to Roland Park as a sixth grader. So I was 11 years old catching buses at night. Um, I had a whole bunch of work. So my first research paper I ever did was sixth grade. It was 55 pages. Right. So this is like middle school I went to. And then going to high school it was the same. But I was just like really running from responsibility. So I didn't want to watch kids. I didn't want to. Um, you know, just be the person that was always responsible for everybody. And my way of doing that was to like be at school forever or claim to be at school forever. Um, and that was just a space for me. Every day I would leave the house at 5.50 in the morning. I went and get back sometimes like eight o'clock at night. So I was either doing like schoolwork. I used to model. I was doing robotics. So most people didn't know I was this smart just because like my, my mouth was vicious. My hands was vicious. I was a fighter. But I was really like, you know, undercover nerd that got along with everybody. But I was also a hurt little girl that was just mad and frustrated with the level of responsibility I had that was running at the same time from being at home and from like, you get tired. I was like a teenager being an adult. And I didn't really, I felt like I didn't really have that, that freedom that I once did. And so I always lashed out. And the way that I lashed out was like, if I put my hands on people but also just doing whatever I wanted to do. Like my parents never knew, but yeah, I was crazy. I was really crazy. Let's, let's not name call. Let's not name call. You weren't crazy. Um, you, um, okay. yeah. All right. I'll let, you, I'll, let, yeah. I'll let you have it. I'll let you have it. You, you talk about, um, you know, being hurt and you talk about responsibility. Um, and there are a lot of young people, a lot of young people that I know you come across that are dealing with probably similar hurt and dealing with similar responsibilities that you had growing up, um, and then dealing with loss. Um, you know, mm-hmm. your mom passed away, and 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 I just I'm I'm really interested in how you were really able to kind of like channel all of those different things and really kind of start to create and shape your life. Because for some people, Brittany, for some, they fall to that. They fall to those different things, and you rose to the occasion. Um, can you talk about that? So I would say I fell too, right? Everybody has to fall. And I think that's something we don't talk about. Success is not linear. You do have to fail. And then once you fail, what happens when you succeed, right? That's what I said. I'm, I'm constantly like evolving and changing. So after graduating high school, I went to school on a full ride, 3.8 GPA. My mom died my second week of school. That was my first time I ever like had like loss. Like you talk to my own Thursday down on Friday. As a kid, again, I'm, I'm, I think I'm 18, turning 19. People just didn't let me grieve, right? I still was expected to 
come back home, take care of my siblings, go to school. And I was also like, just dual life. I'm a Gemini. So the other side of my life was at 19, also working as a professional engineer when there was no Black people and being seen as secretary. And then at the same time, being a hurt 19-year-old kid that's grieving the loss of my parent, that's maintaining the household and not really having a way to like express that. So the bad half of me did go through depression. And what that looked like was a lot of alcohol. I drank a lot. A lot of weed, not eating for days. Um, just, and like, I didn't know what that was. I developed asthma because that's how depressed I was. I didn't know. And that's what I mean, right? People saw, by the time I was 20 or 21, I was a published first author in a science literary journal, which was cool. But they also didn't know I was battling depression because I didn't know that either. I had lost like 55 pounds in less than three months just because of depression. And I didn't know. And I think people don't let, especially as Black people and Black women, let us sit in the pain and the hurt, you know, and let us be able to have those moments where we don't have to be strong, right? Because in my strength, that was also the thing that was hurting me because I was just adjusting to the BS instead of being like, look, I need some time to cope. I need to, you know, figure out how to heal. And honestly, I didn't heal until like um, 2017, you know, and that that was therapy. So from 19, which is like 2008, to about 2017, I was still a hurt little girl you know I was still struggling with things that people didn't know about I was still living a double life of trying to figure myself out um I still was in the paper before B360 so all the wars the accolades the big jobs you know working at NASA McCormick APL you name it I did it but people didn't know I was like having those internal battles one of my first wake-up calls was landing in the hospital because my car flipped over so I don't know if like I fell asleep at the wheel, my body crashed, or maybe I was drunk. One of those. But and me having that first talk with myself, and I was probably like at this time, 2022, 20, being like, okay, let's change some things. And that's what made me get back into school, which was good. But I still was having the same challenge with fighting people. And I won't say who I was fighting because that's like a whole different story. And it wasn't until like 20, 2016 was the shift for me where I just got uncomfortable. That was like my last fight. It was April of 2016, which ironically was like three days after my mother's birthday. Mm. Um, the person that I was fighting, we were fighting for like one in 30 minutes. The police had to be called. They kicked in the door with guns. My little brother's in the house. You know, I wound up with seven stitches on top of my eye. I won't tell you what the other person looked like, but that was like the end all for me where I was just like, we cannot your face right now. Yeah, like we, Brittany has to make a conscious decision to be uncomfortable because your comfort has always been your defense mechanism is fighting, right? Being comfortable with fighting is a bad thing. That's what I said. Being overly strong is a bad thing, you know? And I'm, 2016 for me was really the, the shift in the water, right? 2016 was the last fight, a new type of fight, which was embracing the new Brittany. Um, making a decision to be uncomfortable, making a decision to to just start fresh. And out of that came the fruits that people see. The idea for B360 came in 2016. The awards for B360 came in 2016, right? But that was because God said, get uncomfortable. And then God said, go heal yourself in 2017 by making sure you go to therapy to make sure it's really good. And since 2017, I want to say things have been smooth sailing, but things have definitely been a lot better because I'm now not in survival mode. This is the first time in my life where I'm like, woo, 
I'm comfortable. Like this is sustainability, right? We can get to thrive. And I think for black kids and black people, no one ever teaches us how to not just to survive, but how do you sustain and succeed? And then what if you're wildly successful? That's the, I think the bigger lesson is yes, everyone will have hardships. You will fall. Let people fall though, right? Don't try to make them come out of their depression. Don't try to make them be strong. Strong for who? But then once they do come out or they have like mechanisms to cope with depression and cope with the battles, also teach people how to be successful because we never get to the point as black people with success because our parents for generations only taught us to deal with survival mode. So now new Brittany at 32 is learning a new version of herself. But as I said, every day I get older, I also get younger because I'm just pulling out little Brittany that was the six-year-old that was a badass that y'all heard about. But now you see her. So it's like the maturity level is there. The experience is there, but the person I'm really becoming is just my young self. Wow. wow. Sorry, Brandon. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I mean, this is, this is real life. And that was powerful. Um, there's so much there. Um, and I, I mean, I'm, trying, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting here trying to gather myself with, with a question, but I'm just like, wow. But, you know, I always, you know how I see you. So, you know, it's, 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 it's with no surprise here of, of an, the awe that I have. I want to talk about 2016 and I want to specifically lean into like the transition in becoming um, Brittany Young, the founder of B360. Um, can you talk about where this idea came from? Can you talk about what... It would, what it took to start building the blocks and the foundation mm-hmm. of this organization. Yeah. So 2016 was one year post Freddie Gray uprising. Um, you know, it was really, I thought was going to help shape the country on how to move forward, but we see the same thing happen in 2020. So in 2016, my outside fighting, the last person I fought, my little brother was also in the jail for nonviolent offenses and shot as an adult. That year, too, the city said, you know, we have all these promising jobs, opportunities that can move people forward, especially Black people. But what I didn't see was a connection to people on the ground, especially coming out of STEM. You know, the industry, I was made for it, but it wasn't ready for me. I've known since I was in third grade, I was going to go into engineering, but they never experienced a person like me. And then the other problem I saw was we created a dirt bike police task force. So in Baltimore, there's a misdemeanor to own the dirt bike which people don't talk about or don't know. And then we made a task force to uphold the law. So I have no issues with police. I have an issue with policy. And what I wondered was when we made skate parks, we didn't say let's make a skate task force. You know, when we made bicycle lanes, we didn't say let's make a bicycle task force. And so the way that Britney brain works is like an evil genius mode. Again, that's little Britney that was really talking that day. I got the idea like four o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh, this is going to be called B360. I'm like, is this problem, this problem, this problem? Okay, that's all one solution. Boom. And that's how it really came together. And that's really what I mean about my brain is like 25 to 30 screens at one time. If you put everything on the screen and it can just pull the things it needs to and give you what the answer is going to be, which is a, a good thing. And so in 2016, that's really what happened. Um, Baltimore Corps Elevation Awards, which was also started by an Equity fellow, Faking Her, um, came around literally two months after I had this idea. And I was, let's say it was serendipity, but it was God, right? It was this new being uncomfortable with a different level of Britney. And so I applied, I was awarded, it was a $10,000 planning grant which is not a lot of money. But then I was also in an incubator with Hopkins. 
So the Social Innovation Lab, which is like an accelerator on steroids. So like all of my business acumen. And what I did was utilize the money, but then utilize Hopkins name and foundation towards building B360 and launching the pilot. So I also started teaching in 2016. So I, while I was making B360, I was working in engineering, I was teaching, I was a college professor, which now sounds insane. But again, that was my life and I was used to it. And then what I really did was focus on making sure I talked to the people I needed to. The first people I went to was the students. The second people I went to was the dirt bike riders, right? You can't have a dirt bike program without dirt bike riders. The second, the third was city council and the police commissioner. We had a whole meeting with dirt bike riders, students, the police commissioner and city council where they gave me amnesty for B360 and a dirt bike police task force that never happened before. And by February, 2017, we launched our STEM program. We launched a community forum. We had 30 students when we started. By the end of 2017, we were in five schools, had a contract with city schools, served 1,200 students, and worked with eight dirt bike riders for job opportunities, all off of $10,000, which I should not have to say. And that was all in 2016? 2016 going to 2017. And you did that with $10,000? Right, which is stupid, right? That's how I said of why being strong is a is a detriment mm-hmm. because anyone else, you can't work with ten thousand dollars. But I think that's where like being a black person and a black woman founder, you know, is a good thing and is a bad thing because we're used to nothing, you know, and we're used to the no's and we're used to being turned down, but it's always the model of, well, I'ma still get my shit done. And that's cool, which we do, but that's also why philanthropy easily tells us no because they know we don't have a choice but to solve our own problems, right? Anyone could, well, not anyone. If a non-Black person thought of B360, they would have raised more money than me, but it would not be the same product, right? And it would not be the same heart and it would not be, you know, the same genuine, like the same passion or the same like virtue because it's not, I know that what I'm doing is shifting stuff, not just for like people who ride dirt bikes with Black people across the country, period. And that's a different feeling. So while I don't really have a choice but to do this work, what I really have to choose is just making sure we build more business structure because I never want people to come after me and say, well, woo, we gave Brittany $10,000 and she did all this. Well, y'all can have $10,000 and y'all going to do all that too. No, that's the problem. So I also feel like I set the bar high, which is a good thing, but I also set it too high where people don't think that you need to give people more than $10,000 to do the work that we did, which you do. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. We 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 can have a whole conversation about that specifically. That just specifically about like raising money as a black founder and what does that look like and and how does that tie into the impact and the work that you've done. But Brittany, you've done that. You have raised money. Um, you continue to raise money, and you need to continue to raise more money. And people need yeah. to continue to invest in B three sixty. But since two thousand seventeen. It has been a steady rise, Brittany. It's been a steady rise. As we rise um, in, in 2017, like Maya Angelou, can you talk about some of the things that you have done um, and some of the work that you've done with B360? And particularly, I would love to hear just kind of like 
the impact that you've had with the kids, you know, like mm-hmm. one of the things that I love about B360 is that you really center the kids, you center the riders, you know, every conversation, every meeting, every interview, it's like, let me introduce you to so-and-so. Let me introduce yeah. you to this person's story. Let me tell you, because it's like, it's not about me. It's like, you're thinking about everything else, but yeah. yourself when it comes to B360 about the impact. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, B360 is for the people, by the people, right? It's really the definition of Google. While I'm the person that thought of it, and I think, you know, my voice may be the biggest in the dirt bike scene because I can speak to people on multiple levels. I'm like a master builder. That's actually my my number for numerology. The skill that I have is also to make the table, build the table, bring the people to the table, and make the people listen to the people at the table. Um, and that's important because that's what I mean. I think a lot of times people have ideas and they solve a problem, but then they forget that the people closest to the problem, in this case, dirt bike riders and dirt bike kids, are the only solution to making sure it works, right? And so since 2017, just to also how I know you, um, we got a lot of no's in Baltimore, but one of the first groups that gave us a yes was Echo and Green. Right. So it was Knowles all throughout Baltimore City, but Echo Green, which is a global fellowship, said yes to crazy ass B360 in Brittany with this idea. The same thing with Red Bull. People didn't know in 2017, we had hosted a whole event with Red Bull and we wasn't like quote unquote signed. You know, they just really saw the impact we were about to make. And one of my favorite accomplishments was in 2017. I joined uh, like a, a cohort for Red Bull and I made them hire Mike, who's a dirt bike rider. And when I say made, we come as a package. It's no point to have me in this cohort if he don't have no job. You know, so what they did was give him a job to work in production. So he was 18 years old, working in production for Red Bull, being flown throughout the country, you know, really making a name for himself, money for himself and so much more. But that helped shape not only his future, it also helped shape them into knowing that Young Black men and young Black people, period, deserve opportunities in these major corporations. And why that's one of my favorite milestones is because, again, I was not able to just talk about, you know, Britney deserves this opportunity. But Mike, if you're not taking him, you're not getting me. And that's really how I look at these spaces. Since 2018, it's pretty much been the same. Um, that same year when I did my Echo and Green interview, we actually were on Shark Tank. Well, I pitched for it. We didn't get as far, but I got the pitch with our students. We won the Social Innovator of the Year at Light City. So think of me on stage with two kids who look just like me pitching for $5,000 as I'm pitching together. And then they actually got to win the money, which I love. Um, we had done a couple commercials as well with our students. They presented at Hopkins. Um, anything you've named that we've done. 2020, they went a campaign with HBO Max for Charm City Kings on why they ride. Um, a campaign with Ann Pizza, then in my TED Talk, they've been on Kelly Clarkson show, the Today Show. And that's what I mean for them. The skies are limits. And what I appreciate is just being able to help people, help them, help themselves listen. And then now just giving them the reins. Like if you ever hear Deron, which people always hear Deron, because Deron loves to talk, but I love that for him. That's what I mean, right? He is able to be free. He also has younger siblings, but when he's with me, it's not Deron has to be responsible. Deron just be a best self. The way they talk about themselves is from an asset. They know B360 does not save people. We empower. And I better never hear you say that we saved you, you know, because you didn't need me. What you needed was somebody that could see you. And I saw them. Um, And that's really my biggest thing is I love the way they talk about themselves. 
I love the way they advocate for themselves and for the work. And I appreciate being able to, in real time, quantify the impact we've been able to make through their experiences. Because, yeah, this shit can be lonely. It can be tiring. I hate people every day. But I love the work that we do. Right. That's what fuels me because I can see it in them. Like I can get told a million no's every day just to see Deron and all of our students with a smile, just to make sure people like Mike have an opportunity. And one of the things we just launched this year too was a partnership with State Attorney's Office, which I wrote on the whiteboard back in 2016, right? I told you God and manifestation and work. So instead of people going to jail for anything nonviolent in Baltimore, they work with B360 instead. Right. And that's the game changer. So we are reimagining public safety in real time. Literally have, I think it's been nine referrals so far. It's probably going to be 20 by the end of the year where we're preventing people from going to jail. But that's also another good example of we do all that work for free because it goes with our mission. But we really need investment into orgs like B360 and more money from the government because we are the diversion program with no money. We're saved the city money, but we don't have money to run it. That's how I also look at stuff. I want to lean into specifically you being a black uh, woman founder. You know, one of the things that, I, in addition to all of that you have just said around what you what you champion, you do specifically champion black women. You champion black women engineers, and you champion black women entrepreneurs. Um, what advice do you have for for these women who are looking to kind of break into these different fields, and they're being told that they can't or they don't see a lot of them in the space? And and how have you held up when entering those spaces and being the only one? Um, it's really being authentic, right? I can't get rid of my accent. I'm not going to get rid of it. And I wear it with pride, right? That's one of my favorite things. And I think that's what also makes it sometimes hard, you know, which is fine. Um, I'm a shine bright and I'm a keep shining bright. And I've learned again, right? This is the sustainability, but me talking like the six-year-old. I cannot conform myself or confine myself to people or spaces. That's not designed for me. That's not my problem. But what I can do is make sure that I feel good about who I am and what I'm doing. So no matter what space I enter, I know I'm not compromising myself, my integrity, and my values. And that's what I would say to more Black women, period, in any industry is stop compromising. I remember, again, being 19 that first week, and the person was telling me, go get coffee and go get all this stuff. And I'm like, do he know who I am? He probably don't. Cool. But I'm not going to go and like change myself just to fit in that space. You know, I remember going to a job interview before. This is like when natural hair wasn't a thing. And the person hiring me was like, okay, you know, like for some jobs, you have to wear like a helmet for construction. He's like, can your hair fit in the helmet? And I'm like, I'm not going to work here. Like, did you just ask me, can my hair, my hair fit in a, in a hard hat? So I think it's also just making those decisions and consciously, right? We can't only control how we receive the, the BS. And that means just really sticking true to yourself. And really, again, the struggle of a Black woman is that we're, we have to always be strong and we feel like we have to carry the weight of the world. The problem with racism and white supremacy is that it rests on the suppressors, right? That is their problem and theirs to solve. We are not responsible for them. And I think that is one of the hardest things I've had to get over in my 32 years of life is that I cannot control racist people. I can only control that I will not compromise myself. But until they do the work on themselves, it will always be a racist system. And so that's really my advice to Black women in any industry 
is rest on you, your values, don't compromise, show up every day as your full self and get to the place where you're just comfortable with just being and also get to a place where you're uncomfortable with just being. I hate being the only Black anything. That is not an accomplishment in 2021. So we just won the Bessie Stringfield Award from the AMA. Bessie Stringfield, if you watch Lovecraft Country, is a Black woman that was riding next to six car. Oh, that the car, the car on the highway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love, I love Lovecraft Country. I love that show. You need to come back. Me too. That show was amazing. Yeah, but Bessie, she is the first Black woman inducted in the Motorcycle Hall of Fame. So stunt riding came for her, and she really made motorcycles a sign of freedom for Black people. In the twenty-year legacy that her award has been around, I am the only Black person. That wait, is what? not an accomplishment. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah. There's yes. an award. There's an award after named after a black woman, mm-hmm. and you are the only black person to ever win the award in 20 years. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? Because the motorsports industry is not black people at all, and I am the first and the only. And that is not like that's. I mean, that's not an accomplishment for me, right? I don't. I love Bessie Stringfield. I just didn't think I was the first and I don't like being the first because I, I don't want to always be in spaces where it's just Bessie 50 years ago didn't think that 50 years later we would be experiencing the same thing you know or that in her legacy I would still be triumphing in a new generation of motorcyclists that are black you know and that's what I mean it's really she didn't compromise I'm not gonna compromise either I can finish where she got started but being the only is not an accomplishment and I hate it yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of shocked about that. I'm gonna you got to send me the link. I don't know why. Comments. I mean, I, I, I'm just I may, maybe maybe shocked is not the right word. It's more so like the audacity, mm-hmm. <laughs> the audacity that you that you can name an award after a black woman and then not even give it to one black person in 20 years and then give it give this award named after a black woman to the a, anyway. Um, okay, right, but that's why it's not on us, right? It it's is not. It's not my burden to carry. And that's what my advice to other Black women is not our burden to carry in any space. You just got to show up your authentic self. Wear your hair with pride. Wear your rest with pride, too. Like, don't be afraid to just go to sleep. We need to sleep. Audrey Lord said it best. Rest. Right? That's also what our ancestors wanted for us. So I think we just have to, and like, separating two people. So as much as I'm the founder of B360, that is a part of me. Actually, probably the smallest and the newest piece. I was Brittany Young before everything. And the reason why the founder of B360 can be successful is because Brittany Young was already a whole person. So I think, you know, no matter if you're a mom, if you are in a career, like, you know, if you are in business, right, making sure people humanize you because people often don't. That's why I like, I really love this podcast um, because I am a regular ass person. I go through emotions. I go through challenges every day. The founder of B360, that looks cute. That is a persona. Brittany Young is just a regular ass bitch from Baltimore that like is making a way. Like I'm a regular West Side girl, you know, and I just wish that people would learn to separate the two. And also like, just like the founder of B360 has a story, so does Brittany Young, the regular ass person who used to fight a lot that has a scar on top of her eye that does not play with people does in the same capacity. So just really wanting people to be humans, humanize yourself. People don't separate the two go to sleep, don't conform, and also just be able to say no, be comfortable with yourself, but stay uncomfortable with bullshit. 
They, it's so incredible to hear you say these things because mm-hmm. there are so many, we, we live in a society, whether no matter what industry, uh, where people believe like if you work tirelessly and you burn yourself out, that that is success. Like it's like, you need to put 20 hours into the day. You need to be a robot, right? You need to compartmentalize your emotions. You need to take emotions out of it and, and take your humanity out of it. Um, and just really kind of work, right? And like that that mentality or that frame has just harmed so many people because mm-hmm. we hear about the success stories, the few, the very few and far in between, but we don't hear about the thousands of unsuccessful people who tried to follow those same tracks uh, mm-hmm. and were unsuccessful. And, and it's just, it's so powerful to hear you talk about that and particularly around just like, Black people, Black women, um, you know, having having a separate life, you know, being able to separate yourself from the work and being able to enjoy your life because people mm-hmm. think the persona or the idea of what a founder is supposed to be or a CEO is supposed to be is ridiculous. That's why when yes. all page six <laughs> articles come out about like these these white guys at like these crazy parts, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's like, what? Yeah. It's because we have this idea of what a founder is supposed to be and who they're supposed to be. And, and it's and it's amazing to hear you say that. Yeah. And I, I think you hit on the head too. Like, just keep it separate. You know, we are regular everyday people and people just don't give us enough credit to just be be that. Just like, I want to just sit in it sometimes. Like, do y'all really know Brittany? Y'all don't really know me. My real friends really know me, right? And they really know my, my struggles and why like they are always like, People root for me now because they can see it, but people that know where I come from see it in a whole new capacity, right? And see it in a whole new level. And I think that's what I mean. If if Black women and Black people, we've told those failure stories more often, you know, we can inspire people in a different way where we don't just seem like we're at the top of the pedestal and we made our way, right? And what you hit on too is great. One of my least favorite questions from people is, you know, describe a time when you failed. Every fucking day, I'm Black in America. You know, so I like, I think grit is overly used and overly endorsed, especially for Black people. Like, do y'all know where we live and the conditions we live in? Yeah, like grit is not a measure of success. Grit is the thing that doesn't exist. I can work every day, give 125 hours a week. I still will have to work 20 times more just because of the color of my skin and where I come from. You know, and so when people talk about grit that does not exist, what they really need to talk about is how you can maneuver in spaces that were not built for you, but also how none of it was built for you. So you have grit coming out the womb. I've known since I was six, I was black. You know, I've known since I was six that it was going to be a challenging world. So when people talk to me about grit, I have more grit than anyone that's probably the top five billionaires in the world. That doesn't mean I'm going to get to be successful because the world did not make it equal success, equal opportunities. And that's the problem. Mm. Yeah. Let the church say amen. <laughs> Let the church say amen. All right. I would I was waiting for the choir to come on down the hall and because you know you you are you're summoning them right now. Um when you think about the future of B360, when you think about like where you want to take this, right? You've mentioned sustainability numerous times. Uh, where do you see this organization going? Right. And and I'll also double down on on the question with an additional question. And Mm -hmm. did you ever imagine it would get as far as it has and as quickly 
as it has. Now, I know you might have a thought on like, well, Brennan, it wasn't that quick and da da But honestly, but honestly, um, when you think about from the time you made this an LLC or when the time you like crafted the idea, right? And put it pen to paper to where it is now, right? What are your, what are your thoughts? I'm going to answer your second one first. The answer is yeah, right? And I think um, that's hard for people to believe sometimes, right? When I tell you, when I wrote B360 on that whiteboard, mm-hmm. I wrote everything that was going to happen for it. And when I first started B360, what happened was because of the nose, right? So like B360 was started by like my six-year-old version of me, which was like, boom, this will be doing, this will be going, we got it. But then the nose came in and so I was like, huh, so should I be questioning myself? Should I be doubting myself? You know, like, should I be like more culpable? Should I be like less big? You know, should I confine it? And it in me confining it, which is what I thought I was supposed to be doing to get like better at business, I lost parts of B360, right? And as I said, like, it's been a grown experience, right? But I was in survival mode. 2016, I was still in survivor. By 2017 and getting into 2018, it was like sustainability and more comfort. But honestly, the answer is yeah. I knew B360 was going to be all that it is now. It's actually behind in my eyes, but I'll let you have me in this moment. Um, Because what I wrote for us back in 2016 as an idea, we brought to fruition every one of those ideas plus more, you know. And so I didn't ever know how we may have gotten to one day having our own space where we did it this year. But I didn't know it was going to be a partnership with BNO of gifting us, gifting, by the way, I convinced them to give us three acres of land that we can use for programming. That would be the diversion program. You said gifting? You said gifting? gifting. That means that you own three acres of land? No, 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 no. No, they own it. We just don't pay rent for it. Oh, okay, so, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Not no no I want to something else. I was like exclusive I was like exclusive. Okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna give you the other one. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, like I didn't know I always said we need this space, right? I didn't know that it was gonna come in twenty twenty one with a partnership to be in over at museum, which seems unlikely. I didn't know I always said we don't need to just incarcerate people for nonviolent offenses. I didn't know it was gonna be a partnership state attorney's office you know, to actually do that and me being the right to protocol for it. I didn't know that I said, yeah, we don't really need a dirt bike police task force. We need programming. And then now in 2021, we don't have a dirt bike police task force in Baltimore. I didn't plan on working with 8,000 students now. It happened. Didn't plan on meeting these many riders and it happened, you know, but I knew where I saw B360. That was, that's the thing, right? And I think people in business or any space, you can't ever dream too big, right? You can dream as big as you want to, but then it's like doing the work and then making sure your milestones add up to where you want to go, right? I said, like, for me, I'm always mission and vision aligned. We get approached by companies and orgs every day, but if it don't fit where we're trying to go and if it don't fit our values, it's easy no. So I saw B360 in 2016 as big as it is now. Little six-year-old Brittany saw Brittany at 50, and every day I'm working towards being that person that she saw at that age. But I think that's a dreamer in me and a dreamer in me is what saved me. And as long as I don't let the world stop me from dreaming, we won't keep making it because everything I dreamed about is coming true. So I would say, yeah, and I, people probably didn't think that. But yeah, my eyes are actually behind. So just know I have a lot more dreams that we about to work on that's about to come, which is the second part to your question. What's next for B360 is a campus. The same way we have the temporary space, I want to own the motorsports industry for Black dirt bike riders and for Black people in education. 
right? We are reshaping both of them. No longer do you people have to think about education in this box or these classrooms where we're just throwing textbooks at kids and saying, go learn it. No, you actually embrace what kids do, what people do. You identify with that culture and you make curriculum around the people that you serve. The same thing for dirt bikes is a $32 billion industry. I am the first winner of the Bessie Stringfield Award as a Black person, which is dumb. It can be 100 billion plus with people like me because we need new helmets that fit Black kids. We need new equipment for our style of riding. We need better dirt bikes. And if anyone in the motorsports industry wants to see it live beyond their lifetime, they have to invest in us now. And so a campus for us is what's next. A space to do indoor riding, outdoor riding, um, manufacture dirt bikes in the future and helmets, hopefully with a company, but if not on my own, uh, auto body mechanic shop, apprentice programming, housing dirt bikes on location. And think of like, you know how people go to like the Preakness to see the races? Think of that for dirt bikes, but bigger. That's what yeah. I mean about what's coming next. And in the next five years, working with companies to design equipment and apparel for our style of riding. We already host events. We've done seven so far, but really growing our event style to make sure that all across the country people can watch and monetize their time for this like any sport. And then being able to take B360 around the country to work with cities on strategy. No, you cannot just pass bills like what Philadelphia just did and cause riots, right? Instead, you need to work with us around a short, medium, and long-term strategy, which includes programming, safe spaces, events, and how to work with your police departments too, right? Because we get it. Um, And overall, because you're going to ask this, let me tell you, for me, retiring. Yeah, like y'all have about 10 years left. Before oh. B360 is passed, you don't, oh Lord, it's what it's supposed to be, right? What am I going to do after all of that? I didn't, I didn't ask you that question because I didn't want to hear it. Well, you got to hear it. I, think, <laughs> I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I, okay, hear okay, it. okay, okay. I'll still be the CEO and the founder, right? But I, again, this is where that sustainability come in and right and thriving. <laughs> 10 years from now, I'll be 42. I cannot be the same person I got to be in the front of every camera and in every interview making sure everything runs right. If I want B360 to last beyond me, that means grooming people to be my successors, which we are doing that right now. Making sure programming can run like a well-oiled machine. Making sure I can set up things that, you know, make sure we generate income and wealth. And if I'm teaching us as Black people that we have to sustain, I also have to sustain and thrive. So making sure I can still sit as the CEO, the founder, you know, but things need to move without me because I may be the head of transportation one day. You know, I may be on the board of the AMA. You know, I may you might be, be mayor in, of Baltimore. Ooh, don't do that. <laughs> no, that politics is not in my registry. You know, but I think really just being realistic, like B360 will live beyond me as it should. And I have to prepare it to do just that. And also having like, I want to say it's an extra strategy, but it's a, a fulfillment of more roles for more people because I can't be everything to everybody. And Brittany, you know, I want to live an easy life. I want to be able to travel, go on vacation, have my children. They have their nanny, they postpartum doula. You know, <laughs> like I want to be able to just like be a regular woman who does not have to think about every deal that we cut, that has to think about, you know, all the parts of B360. So I said, mm-hmm. no, in 10, 10 years or less, less sprinkle or less, I want to see that B360 is a thriving company that makes its own money. We have the money we need from the government, from philanthropy, and doing our own sales that make me feel comfortable to 
hire more like operations managers, hire more people to run the intricate details of B360 and really see my baby live without me, which is what it should do. And for me as a Black woman to not only just feel like, wow, we did it, but wow, we're going to do it for more people because they Uh see how you can change the game, Uh right? I really just blew up the whole system, which was fine, but I'm also putting it back together so that no one coming after me should ever have to feel like you come into an industry and you have to conform to it. No, you know, we create jobs, we make spaces for people and that it's okay to get to the place where your thing you started lives without you. You can still run it, maintain it, make money with it, be successful. And as black people that do work, it is okay for us to live good lives, to not struggle, to not be depressed, to feel success and to live in luxury. That is what my ancestors wanted for me. And that's what I'm going to get. Because <laughs> you didn't ask that question. I'm like, no, 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 Brittany. See, you got to put the humanity back in me. Brittany got plans for her too. Well, I was going to get to the Brittany question, but I wasn't going to get to the retirement question because I'm not ready to hear about it yet. You try to push it down. You try to push it down my throat sometimes and I'm just not ready to... To, to get to that bridge yet, but I'm, I'm here for the humanity. Let's be very clear. We, yeah. I, I have a question for you at the end of this conversation uh, to close us out. But before I do close us out, I do want to talk to you about this. I have had multiple people uh, on this podcast from Baltimore, as you know, uh, Mayor Brandon Scott, uh, Moses Ingram, um, mm-hmm. Cheryl Dorsey, uh, mm-hmm. you know, multiple folks who love Baltimore, who breathe Baltimore and speak about Baltimore in such an incredible way. And I want to give you the opportunity to talk about your Baltimore, your Baltimore, and what does Baltimore mean to you? You've talked a little, I mean, you've talked about Baltimore through this, but I just want to give you space to talk about Baltimore specifically. I cannot have Brittany Young on the <laughs> podcast without talking about Baltimore. It's like you and Baltimore are synonymous. Um, yeah, I've heard I you say, it. I've heard you say you were born in Baltimore, you will die in Baltimore. You don't want to go anywhere else other than Baltimore. <laughs> you Where will vacation. She will vacation anywhere. Yeah. She will vacation anywhere, yes. but she's not moving anywhere. <laughs> no, where would I go? Yeah, I'm actually in the process of purchasing the house now, right, to add to my legacy. Um, yeah, Baltimore's the best, right? When I think of, like you said, where, where would I go, right? Baltimore is any city in America where Black people rest, right? What's unique about Baltimore is it had the most free Black people at one time, and we still do, right? We are one of the last fights and the last homes before the last wave of gentrification where it's something for us. We are a 63% Black city that is not giving up. And that is a part, what is it, us in Detroit? You know, that's a part of, again, like our lineage, our heritage. We developed the road systems. We developed, you know, just just everything from the, the revolution of Black people, the great migration, people landing in Baltimore for a reason. And so Baltimore represents the freedom for Black people the last fight for Black people in this country, the best that can happen, the challenges we experience are because of old practices and systemic oppression, which we know. But at the core of Baltimore is so much beauty. It's so much like nowhere else in the world can you go in a city and get everything in one place, right? I can be in the suburbs in the city. I can be downtown. I can go to the hood. I can go to the project. You know, like you experience it all at one time. And stuff. I mean, black Baltimore for me is blackness. It is rooted in my grandmother's promise, 
to their lineage, right? They came from rural Virginia, both of them, to come to this city because it owed them freedom. My grandmother's first time voting was in Baltimore. The first time they've allowed purchase houses was in this city. And so for me, it's that promise from my grandmothers that I'm going to get and fulfill of what the city owes me. And I'm not letting up on it because my kids going to get it too. So that's what I mean. Like it's, it's that promise of a freedom of newness that we deserve and we belong here. And that's Baltimore. Baltimore is blackness. Ooh, that is a statement. Yeah, this, this accent that y'all people come after, which is, you know, that's a little bit of microaggressions that y'all got for white supremacy, but we'll let it slide. You know, our accent are beauty right it is that two is those oohs is those do's and you know why it sounds like that because it's poplin style coming from england because we would have won the first people for black first places for people in the u.s but also for black people so when y'all making fun of our accents just remember y'all making fun of your blackness because if we don't have these accents that's not what's going to separate us from everybody else so that's what i mean about baltimore Right now, cousins in D.C., they got access to our cousins in P.G., they got access to. But these is and these dudes is not going nowhere. And that's what I mean. I'm not going to hide it. Every interview. What am I going to I don't even know how to say. How do you say to? I don't even know how to say it any other way. Like, that's what I mean. And I just love that I can be my authentic best self. Yeah, we have challenges, but we have so much beauty here. And any city will have challenges. I think we just haven't reckoned with Baltimore is one of the last Black cities. We have challenges because we're every day trying to undo things that have happened for generations. And in order to really see it thrive, we need people to invest in Baltimore, just like any other Black city, and make sure that we continue to be our authentic selves. That's Baltimore for me. More for you. My last question for you. When it's all said and done, Miss Young, (laughs) uh, (laughs) when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy? to be hmm. um i think now, my legacy and, 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 and let me be very clear okay this is not the legacy of b360 this is not the legacy of baltimore what do you want your legacy to be yeah that was the answer for those two anyway i don't think about me um hmm, that's a good question i would say that i think i talked about this earlier the, the two questions i want people to think about is if you fail, then what? But if you succeed, then what? Right? I think that's what my legacy is going to be, right? Of a regular ass person that navigates a world that's not for for me, that does have to fail, right? That's a part of it. But you would never have known, but you should know that's a part of being successful. And then a person that has to change themselves, or I would say actually grow more like my younger self to be successful. And so I would say my legacy is around not Britney did that, but like, damn, we did that. You know, I want people to look at me as just like anybody else, like a sister, uh, a brother, a cousin, uh, the auntie, the grandmother, right? That if you do put your mind to some stuff, it can come. That if you do make a conscious decision to be authentic, it will be better. And I don't know, I think, I guess this is really, I never really thought about this. Actually, let me, let me sit. <laughs> Like I thought I knew, but actually I don't know. I don't know. I think coming with okay. the I'm coming I'm coming with the good questions for you. I know that's a good qu- question. See, I don't know what Kelly Clarkson was asking you, but you're gonna <laughs> get the real you're gonna get the real good questions with me. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Like, huh? Okay, I think going back again. 
but it's okay to just keep transforming and keep growing, right? And to keep finding a new version of you. That's that it's okay to fail. It's okay to succeed. But preparing for both of them and preparing them that like what happens if you're successful? I think that's my legacy. It's like, I'm really good at teaching people how smart they are, showing people how smart they are. But also for me, I had to do the same thing. Like every day I realized, I'm like, damn, you're really fucking smart, right? Why did you ever let people convince you that you didn't know what you were talking about? You know, so I, I just think it's around that of making sure that any person who looks like me knows that the confidence they need to do whatever is in themselves, to not feel worried or buried by the weight of the world, right? I don't want none of that shit. I want to be a fabulous black woman who did her job well, you know, that lived in the work cool, but also people can see Brittany really be out here living her best life. That's what I want for myself and what I want for like my future daughters and my future kids that they're not burdened by who the world wants them to be. They can just be carefree. Shit, they can be mediocre if they want to because they never work too hard, you know, and I just want, I just want them to be able to experience the world as it is and develop their own stories and their own narratives and not be forced to be XYZ people because of society's expectations on black women. You want to be a symbol. Do I want to be a symbol? See, no, 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 no. See, I didn't say all of that. I think naturally, <laughs> I think naturally I am a symbol. You know, that's that comes with the territory, but like I don't want that pressure either. I don't I don't want that. Um I think as a part of it, which I'm I'm fine with accepting. But that's what I mean. I just want to be able to, to just be. I want to yeah. be able to exist. And I don't think I get enough time to just like exist. You know, even like with all the accolades, that's cute. But like, I don't even get a time to just sit in the moment and be like, damn, you did this shit. You know, like being on this podcast when he was asking like this journey, like, oh yeah, we did this, we did this. It's stuff I forgot because I don't get enough time to just sit and just be like, wow, look what we built. Look what we made. Look how far you came as a person. Um, that you're not going back to that. And it's so much more that you haven't experienced, you haven't grown to. And I'm looking forward to that. I just want to exist and just be able to be whatever I want to be, but just be. Well, I'll reframe the you want to be. You are a symbol. And you are you are inspiring so many people. You are changing so many lives. You are a visionary. You are an incredible leader. Uh, and, and, and I just, I'm so excited for all the things to come. Uh, I'm so excited for all the work that you will do. You know, I will be cheering you on on all the social yeah. media streams and sending you text messages and calls when I'm like, wait, Brittany, yeah. Brittany, yeah, Brittany, 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 Brittany. Um, but like, <laughs> but as we, as we continue this life journey, um, I, I'm just so privileged and this has been an amazing conversation, um, for all those who are interested in learning more about, uh, Brittany Young and her work with B360, you can go to www.b360baltimore.org and the donation button is right on the front center of the page. So please, please, please do so. Um, so congrats Brittany. And, and this is the black stage.